Hello, everybody, and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your hosts, Grant from Fellowship Blades. I am Dalen from MachineWise. I'm David from Contraption Collection. And I'm John from Triaxis. We got that out of the way. <laughs> yep. So, uh, what have you been up to, Grant? Uh, let's see. Um, today, the main focus was um, I'm neck deep or or waist deep, depending on how you look at it, uh, in a new blade design. And um, so Dalen's got new hard milling end mills, and he's gotten me convinced that they're the way. So I got them, and they yep. came in. Um, and I got everything Great. cammed out. So we'll see how they, they turn out tomorrow. But yeah, they're, they're awesome. They're like, yeah. So it's a minor four flute. I assume yours are as well. Yeah, four flute as well. Um, yeah. But they they're have the like, exact same, it looks like eight, four, three, zero, eighth inch, right? No, I did the quarter inch. Um, oh, oh, so okay. Interesting. It, it's the bigger brother. I bought but, some too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. But so it, they have a, um, it's for flute, but in the middle of the flute is like another ridge and the flutes are really shallow. So it yes. is a chunky boy, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm very excited about. I think it's going to like, like Hell the yeah. core is thicker. Or what do you? Yeah. 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 So like a normal four flute, you know how it gets kind of spindly in the middle. Like the flutes are quite deep, like yep. a, just a I standard. Like that sounds right. Um, yeah. It's, it is very, it's like as if the, the core was as rigid as a, like a seven flute or an eight flute, yeah. but it's only four flutes. Nice. Um, very interesting. And I, but I really like the way it's, it's looking. Um, also I'm doing a new strategy, which Dale and I've been talking about for a long time, which is just putting tabs everywhere. <laughs> All of the tabs. <laughs> so I'm no longer doing any sort of clamping. I just have seven tabs. Seven. Um, wow. I, I think it's seven. One, two, three. No, it's it's five tabs and then the two pivot holes. Uh, so nice. seven screws total. But yep, yep. Um, yeah. So I'm we'll see how it works. Me too. I I was trying to make it a little bit more universal and kind of just easier on myself because mm-hmm. really the more tabs you have, just the less more rigidity but less complications everything gets because like my current clamps are two parts and it's two screws and they're kind of small and they're kind of annoying to work with um and i was like just adding in more screws i figured can't really hurt much yeah well speaking of tabs there's two things first of all is uh uh well i don't know what to start with first so with tabs when i do a tab i uh i like hard mill it off and i snap it off right Mm-hmm. And I have to like clean that up on a grinder by hand because uh, there's just, you know, when you snap it off, there's a little little bit left over. Right. Is is that your guys's experience? And, and are you guys uh, like, how are you guys finishing them? Yeah. You can yeah. Go first, Grant. Yeah. So I have two two methods and one I have not yet tried, but I'm going to try with the new design. Um, the other one is I just tabbed along the edge. Um, so make all your tabs on the edge, they snap off, they tumble out. And then whenever you go to sharpen it, you just knock it off real quick. Um, but really, when I'm going it'll tumble up, yeah, when I snap it off, there's like a whole, like more than a 16th of, of material, you know, it's only like, you know, five to 10 thou thick. Probably I, I go as thin as I can, I think. But right. when you snap it up, there's still like, you know, a decent little stuff, uh, 
protruding. It doesn't break like a sharp corner. Yeah, I feel yeah, like. well, yeah. So it doesn't like fully tumble out, but but the rest of the knife, you know, is tumbling out, and the tab generally gets a little bit smaller. And and like you said, your tab's only like five thousand. So whenever you're sharpening it, I mean, we are most of us are sharpening on a belt grinder of some sort. You just hit the bevel. And that tab just melts. Oh, into see, the I'm doing grinder. the tab on the spine. Yeah. Right. So, and then so one that's on what I was the... um, So if you do your tab on the edge, the tab disappears. And then it's it's part of your sharpening process. Mm-hmm. Um, but my current process with the, uh, the Kukri design is basically I'm going to bore or, or circular bore, helical plunge, however you want to say it, mm-hmm. around my screw on the tab. So I'm basically going to turn the the actual screw portion into a rounded piece of steel. And then I'm going to come back and just straight tab off most of the tabs. Uh, the reason you have to do the rounded is if, if you don't round off the excess material, when you start slotting it, it'll kick and that piece will shove itself into the end mill and break your end mill. Uh-huh. So I'm going to basically bore out all the material around the tab and then tab off what's left on the actual blade piece. And I'm going to do that in an order so that I have just half of a tab left on the bevel. And then that's all that's remaining. And then, you, like I said, you just knock that off. And whenever you're sharpening, you just hit it on the belt grinder. Yep. Okay. So I have I have two experiences with tabs. Um, There's the Opus blades, which have a tab on the edge only. Mm -hmm. And I have and I have a spine clamp. Um, So I can completely machine off that 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 edge tab because a spine clamp is still supporting it. Right. So I just I just machine it off entirely. And then any little small bit since, you know, the blades are held at an angle. So when I go machine that tab off, it is technically machining it at a 15 degree angle. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a, a tab, uh, you have a clamp holding it and that's how you you just can yep, fully machine yeah. it. Yeah, I have a clamp that that supports it from the spine side. Um, okay. So when I machine off the tab, it it's still supported. Uh, so my my Opus blades basically come off the machine completely done, ready for tumble and, and an edge, and that's it. Uh, but the Slift T blades have a spine tab on them. Um, and on that palette, I don't use any spine clamps or, like, any other clamps on the blades. It's just the two pivot hole screws and the one tab hole. Oh, wow. Uh, so that, because I'm, th- those don't get machined hard. Those are, those are soft mode. Oh, right. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those ones, I just, um... I slot the tab down until it's like five thou thick on the second op. And then I just break it off and then I, I touch it up real quick on a on a belt sander before tumble. Maybe I should check. Maybe I need to go even thinner. You can get pretty darn thin. Yep. John, John, are you still tabbing? Um, yeah, I have the two tabs on the end of uh, the midnight blades. And then I have a... I have a clamp that goes in the thumb hole and it it's basically pretty close to matching the thumb hole. So like the bottom of the tab is actually profiled to kind of snug fit. Mm-hmm. And then I fully cut the tabs off. Uh, and the only thing holding it is that clamp through the thumb hole. Right. Okay. But it seems to work pretty good, honestly. I think I got kind of... Sometimes you get kind of lucky with the way it's set up because you can't really foresee everything unless mm-hmm. you've been doing this for a while. Yeah, and right. the front tab, which is it ends up getting pretty thin because of the the milling, obviously. There's still enough material there that when I go to actually cut it off, it's um, you really only need to take one pass. 
And then there's a dowel pin that's actually what's used to locate it. Well, I made sure when I designed it that the dowel pin was far enough away from the side of the blade that I could fit a 3 16th inch end mill around. Mm -hmm. So what happens is it doesn't want to kick because it's held up against that dowel pin. So you can essentially just slot it and then like I'll slot it with a rougher and then I'll just come in and finish the entire outside profile of the knife because the only thing that is then holding it is the thumb hole clamp, which is cool. It's really nice to have the entire outside profile, but yeah, you know, obviously cool. a lot of knives have no holes in the center of them. So yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you've, you guys have seen some of my older videos and I was using mm -hmm. clamps that had like an angle milled into them to match the, the bevel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I could go back to something like that, but I, I feel like the effort of like another op screwing stuff, all that, yeah. I don't know if it's really, and I don't think it was perfectly reliable. So yeah, it still might need a little cleaning up anyway. Um, yeah. I think I'm a 10 sure second, worth it. I think a 10 second cleanup pass, you know, by hand on a grinder is, is probably worth it. Yeah. yeah and I, I have, I have to do like, I'm using the horizontal AMK grinder and, mm -hmm. uh, I do like 220 and then 400 or something like that. Um, because I, f I feel like it looks better to go to at least a little bit higher grit um, for tumbling. Like yep. I, I grind it off and then I tumble it. Okay. Yeah. It seems like 400 grit is like the magic number, at least for me, as far as any sort of sanding goes for the tumbler to blend it well. But mm. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of, of, um, handwork like that on most things so i don't really have too much in input yeah i really don't try to now but sometimes the stones yeah. have to come out yeah. yeah what i was thinking of also doing is is making like a little aluminum block that kind of matches the shape of my blades and then like adjusting the platens so that like i could have the aluminum cart part kind of like butt against the rubber part of the wheel or something so that i could kind of follow the shape of the blade without even really having to think and I mean, just kind of take it flush. Yep. Make up some jigs in yeah. theory. Um, but I don't know. And then the other thing I was going to talk about with tabs, um, Dalen, you saw this stuff. I was getting these like gouge lines yes. uh, across, across my blades. You can see it in discord still guys. Yeah. Sorry, podcast listeners. And it seems like kind of aligned with the start and end of taps, but it's like totally random when I get these gouges, just like uh, surfacing an angle, you know, a nice big bevel into my blades. I'm just getting like one line where it just gouges for no reason. I feel like I'm part of the club now. I have the same problems you guys have. <laughs> Yo. <Yeah. laughs> well, you're, it's yeah, like you're pretty significant, so it makes me worry. It it's like a machine thing. Yep. That is quite the gouge. Your second uh, strategy looked pretty darn yeah. good. 45s. I don't see any gouging in that. Just like maybe one line of chip drag. Yeah. Yeah. And so just as an experiment, what I did was normally I'm just going like left to right. Well, I'm, I'm only Klein milling. I'm only going one direction, yep. starting at the lowest part of the blade and working up. And uh, there's a tab at one end of the blade and... You know, it just kind of I, I rough things out in a way that it doesn't have to like plunge into where the tab is, but it kind of, you know, slightly arcs and it might take a little bit of material. It's it's never really been a problem, but my finishes keep getting better and better. But then, you know, I started getting these gouges. And so what I did is instead of having uh, um, the finish pass 
you know, match everything. Cause I, I don't think that gouging is happening in the semi finish pass and okay. that makes it even weirder. And so I, I had already run some of the semi finish pass that was horizontal. And then I, I changed the finish pass to be at an angle so that it's kind of, um, always starting off the part and it never has to kind of dip into the, the tab area. Um, and it, it looks pretty good. I, I think, I mean, I didn't really have a gouge on one of them. And then another one, it has a, it does have a gouge, but it's much smaller. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's just a random thing. I, I don't know about doing this angle though, because, um, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's, well, it's going to be more cycle time, but also it's kind of strange because you're, uh, I feel like it's going to, it's, it's more, uh, inconsistent and you're requiring all three axes of the machine to be moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's not as smart, but I mean, if it works, maybe it is smart. It, yeah, right. it looks, I mean, it, it looks better at least yes. compared to the other one. So I mm-hmm. would definitely with looks alone, I would go with that. Yep. And it's, it's so hard to take pictures of anything. It is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pictures like always they, make I think they both look really good in person, like better than the pictures. Okay. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. I think I want to try running another one where I do uh, the semi finish pass is also at that angle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, do you think that like having different passes, it, it's weird how you can like see the semi finishing pass through a finish pass. Yep. And uh, maybe doing them in different directions or not matching up is actually beneficial. I'm not sure. At least when it comes to hard milling, the semi-finish and finish should ideally be the same direction, just uh, for rigidity's sake. But yeah. on soft milling, it's, you know, you, you have more room to play with there. Expand on that. What do you... How does uh, rigidity play into it? Okay, so like... um. So, like, say if I finish or semi-finished my blades at a forty-five degree angle, and then I finish past the opposite of that, then mm-hmm. um, there'll be a noticeable uh, pattern from the from the semi-finish because it'll it'll probably look like a knurled blade at that point, just because the material is really hard. Yeah, that's oh. that's basically what's happening is you get cusps mm-hmm. going in like opposite directions. Yep, yep. But uh, you know, on 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 soft, you know, annealed blades or unhardened blades, a softer material that would be much less of a um of an issue. But it's weird because like it, you know, I I left like five thou up and to the side, you know, radial and axial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's crazy you can even see it at all. So it's not like you're actually having those cusps left over. That it right. definitely be... the cusp height is like, you know. 50 millionths or, or maybe less. I don't know. Yeah. Um, less than a 10th easily. So mm-hmm. um, I'd be willing to bet that if you ran that exact same program on say like a Haas mini mill, you probably would not see the semi finish pass in it at all. Yeah. That's yep. kind of, that's kind of what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think it's just a, uh, you know, hashtag Tormach things. I mean, you you also said you were impressed with the quality. I mean, I am still impressed with it. That 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 forty five degree one in particular, um, it like looks. Bollard. If I tried doing that on my seven set or on my four forty, 
um, I would have backlash issues and it would not be nearly as smooth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I still wish it was better. It's, it's, uh, it's good enough that you can tumble it out essentially. Yeah. Or at least get super close where it's, it's, did you ever tumble those yet, by the way? Uh, I don't, uh, no, those, those ones are right next to me. Uh, the, okay. the one with the it's not 45 degrees it's some weird like 50 like 30 degrees. Oh, 57 okay yeah so, whatever um but i've tumbled ones that are similarly good okay um and yeah like it takes a while i i don't know if it's worth trying to f- completely tumble it out because of the time it takes yeah how um, long is a while you know like over eight hours oh, over eight okay yeah i'm happy with with tumble time as long as it's eight hours or less <laughs> Yeah, that's I I don't know because they also say you're supposed to like change the water every eight hours or something. Yeah, we uh, we change ours I, every I think three days, and we should do it daily. I I still am not sure how I want to deal with that. Um, yeah, I mean the worst case that really happens is your your pump ends up getting gummed up from the silt. Yeah, and your parts come out a little bit dirtier, so there's more of a pain to clean. That's like the main I, issue. I've I definitely the, noticed the media sticks if you don't change it often. Oh, okay. Like, I know the water needs to be changed when I can start to see... It's not foaming, but it's like uh, what dish soap looks like, where yeah, it kind of starts like to form thing. little bubbles. Yeah. Yeah, and then if you... Like, fresh fresh water won't do it, and I feel like because of that, whatever it is, it's causing the media to start to stick together. Yep. I think your media doesn't last as long as well if you're water's dirtier because um yeah, yeah the whole point of the soap is so the media glides off and like, like it it glides over your parts instead of like hits them really hard mm-hmm. yeah i've noticed my parts get darker if the if the water's old um, okay like if it's new water they come out almost polished like tumbled polish but if if it's like four day old water they'll come out gray like a dark interesting. gray I, i've never noticed that on my parts personally which is really strange. Maybe it's like the difference in media. It might be more noticeable on Kai. My blades don't come out any darker or shinier, though, that I can Oh, yeah, tell. no, I'm talking about the titanium. The, the blades okay. don't change too much. Okay, I'll pay, pay more attention to the tumbled tie parts then. Yeah. Do you ever get, like, really shiny little swirls in random spots that, like, stand out? I get, like, yeah, like a splotch, though. Not a, not a swirl, but like a, like a yep, star. I think, that's, I think it's where, like, the... Uh, the part got stuck somewhere in the tumbler and one piece of media just kind of sat there for a while. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I was worried it was like if parts uh, were bumping into each other, if, if like the, a part scratching another makes like a shinier spot than uh, the media does. It definitely will. Yep. Especially if they get stuck somewhere together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they get stuck together. Yep. Yeah. I've had it like, if you don't notice it and then you, leave for a while i've had them gouge really bad to where you can't happen once on on a really old small tumbler yeah so yeah i'm using uh i forget what the size of the you know you've seen my bowl tumbler and it's like 100 pounds media in there and uh, i was doing like eight blades at a time but i'd get these little shiny spots that kind of look bad and so i started trying to do just four at a time yeah so Um, that's that's probably blades getting stuck together. I've never really seen them stuck together, and I am using zip okay. ties. Okay. Um, and and based on the shape, and they're never like perfectly flat. Uh, and 
you know, all sorts of reasons. I feel like I've never really had like with aluminum handles. I've had I've seen them stuck together. I've, I don't think I've really had a big problem with that with blades, though. Interesting. Yeah, blades were always the the worst offender for getting stuck together for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. The nice thing about the bowl tumbler is just because of the shape of it, stuff doesn't mm-hmm. like to really stick together. I guess because yeah. of the way the walls are sloped. Yeah. There's no walls for them to stick to. Yeah. Yep. I had I was uh, sometimes having problem where if I left a zip tie like in a big loop, it would get like caught in between the rubber plug and like the wall of the hole where the rubber plug is. It would like wedge itself in somehow. Interesting. The rubber plug is that the drain for the for the bowl? Yeah, there's like a rubber plug with a screw that uh, you know, to drain the media and everything. Yep. Uh, but, but I don't know. You should try not... out carabiners. They've been like the best thing ever for tumbling for us. Yeah, I I uh, I saw that. It seems kind of smart, but I also thought like that might leave weird scratchy marks. Nah, they're just aluminum. Um, they haven't at least they haven't yet. The whole oh. they're entirely aluminum. What you're using? I think the the, the little clip itself is still steel, but uh, it hasn't been an issue on our blades at all. Because you're also looping them through uh, the boreholes, so I I thought maybe those you don't want to like have any risk of scratches or anything inside. Now uh, we haven't had an issue with it at least. Um, they've been literally like, ordering, awesome. ordering carabiners now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, just like little cheap aluminum ones. Um, yeah. They and they last quite a while. We haven't had to replace any yet. Um, is my employee's idea, and it was like the best thing ever. Yeah, see, when I think of carabiner, I think of, like, the big, like, ones for climbing or something. Right. But you have, like, they're, like, I haven't seen them in a while, but they're, like, a double one where they have a clip on two sides. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. S-beaner. Yeah, I mean, when he first said it, he's like, yeah, we should have some carabiners. Try them out for tumble. And I went, huh, that doesn't sound great. They're really big. And then I looked on Amazon. I was like, oh, wow, you're, it's a really good idea. Maybe I should try those so I don't. I can share what I want. A bunch of zip ties. Yeah, when I run out of my 5,000 reusable zip ties, I'll, I'll pick those up. <laughs> we also weren't using reusable zip ties, so we had to take a we would have to take a blade and shove it into the zip tie to remove it every single time. Oh, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. How about we buy carabiners? <laughs> that was a good idea. But I, uh, uh, <laughs> I could buy 100 for like 50 bucks or 5,000 for 50 bucks. And I was like, screw it. I'll, I'll get the 5,000. And so yep. <laughs> we just have reusable zip ties for days. I love it. Who wants to say what else they've been doing this week? Um, John, you want to? Sure. So <laughs> let's see. Uh, it felt productive and not productive all at the same time. Oh, great. So I was like, all right, all these parts are starting to come off good. And then, uh, yeah, so I was like, I need to implement actually probing and measuring things because now I want to actually figure out what tolerance range for things can be for them to go together without me having to like, this lock bar doesn't fit. Let me bump out the radial stock to leave half half a foul and then do that like seven times. (laughs) So I was like setting up because Fusion has like probing routines for yes. adjusting toolpaths and stuff. So I was doing that and I was like, hmm, this is weird. It keeps adjusting it like just a little bit of amount. And every time I measure it, it's not what it says it is, even though it says like as far as the deviation from the WCS is, it's only like one tenth or whatever. Okay. So I was like, this should not measure five tenths over. It, none of this makes sense. Right. 
So it's a it's a two millimeter ruby tip, and you can just if you have a Renishaw, like at least on the Haas, you can literally just change the tip out, and yep. the the calibration doesn't know any different. It just knows right. that this is center line and this is how wide we caled it to. So you can yep. just change the tip however you want. It's like not a big deal. So then you define it in Fusion, and Fusion's going to use the size that you defined <laughs> to drive all the, you know, the tool paths and stuff. Mm-hmm. So two millimeters is uh, is zero point zero seven eight seven mm-hmm. inches. So the 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 tip on this thing is it's like four tenths off in real life mm-hmm. compared to what's in Fusion. Because I never measured it, I just assumed that. Yes, it's two millimeters. It's good. Right. Oh, the, the it's, been, it's, it's been off for two years. Oh, geez. oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I've I've never mic'd the tip of a probe before. We always would run a calibrating cycle on a ring gauge. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and I didn't, I was, and I never checked the actual, because you just, now that you say that, I was like, oh, I could have just looked in the, the macro variables, the actual mm-hmm. chart in the machine. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I just I was like I don't know if it's really that good for the ruby to measure it, but I was like I'll just do it anyways. And surprisingly, it is dead nuts on like seven, just like seven to eight or whatever. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Even if you like change it, the uh, you know the degree you're measuring it at, because usually mm-hmm. like round things are not ever really round. And I was like, wow, this thing is really actually round. Crazy. Um, it's like a yeah. <laughs> It's I like a cheap so. Chinese one. I think that's why I'm. Oh, I'm okay. No, that's that. totally fair. I, th- yeah. I thought this was like a Renishaw. <laughs> yeah. Like a true Renishaw. No, these are like $30. Oh, okay. Actually. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. And then I did that. And then, like, all the probing stuff went really good. And I was like, wow, these lock bar inserts actually fit hey. on the knives without me having to, like, do that. So, th- nice. so that was good. And then, and then I was surface grinding like 20 minutes ago, 30 mm-hmm. minutes ago. And I, like, the thing is starting to get really loud. This uh-huh. And I'm like, I can hear it across the room. Oh, no. <laughs> and I like shut the thing off because I was done with it. And it was like, you know, it's ground to a halt. <laughs> it oh. just stopped and I was like, oh, God. Oh, those are kind of effed. <laughs> I wonder oh, if I can no. do another six. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really know what the plan is, but yeah. So that's that's been good, and then um, other than that, I've just been trying to, I don't know, make things. So that's nice, pretty productive. I think I'm finally at the stage where I can at least make one a week. But I'm okay. I have two that are like really close, and I finished one like the other day. Nice. So two a week would be two a week in two weeks would be a record for me, which is <laughs> saying something. So, so yeah. I mean, you're on the swing of production now. You're on the cusp. Yeah, yeah. I'm right there. Yep. Nice. Okay. So, That's yeah. good. Yep. Exciting. Yeah. And uh, well, David, what about you? I talked about part of what I did. I also made a video that. Oh, did you? Oh. We'll see. Did you, did you post it? No, 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 no. I was gonna say nothing came no, up my feed. It would be about it's the it's a video for trying to sell. Oh, nice. Okay. And so. You know, in theory, I could just have one single shot <laughs> for a video like this, right? Uh, but instead, it's it's of course not. It's it's a <laughs> nice, you know, dozens the true of contraption collection uh, way. 
<laughs> you know, it's only like five minutes, but okay, uh, a fair bit of editing and stuff. Yep. And per- Adobe Premiere decided to be the worst it's ever been in my life. Oh, <laughs> this week. But this is a machining podcast, so don't worry about that. But just imagine yeah, right. if Fusion suddenly you could click things and do things in Fusion, but the user interface didn't update. Oh. Uh, and it just kept uh, doing that uh, or s- the similar things, and you have to keep resetting it. Great. No, you need to go it. for the real Fusion problem and not even be able to log in all day. Or open. Oh, is that what's happening to you? Uh, That's no, what that, was, that was today. Yeah, that was for everybody. Nine hours. Oh, was it? I'm glad I didn't open Fusion yet today. Yeah, uh, well, I'm glad I was in like class because I would have been like, "What the yeah, live right? service, baby? It's the best." God, that's yeah. so annoying. I mean, yeah, I was having an issue for a long time where Fusion just wouldn't open. Yeah, oh. like it would just it would it would crash on the startup. Oh God. Yeah, I yeah, had that for a couple yep. times too. I had a day where it took me like three hours to open Fusion, and I had to fix a program to get production running. It was it that was great. Just... Yeah. Why can't our yeah, professional but... software actually work? <laughs> well, the the login bug really scared me because I'm still have my it's technically my student email, although I'm paying for the, the actual service now. Yep. And I was like, oh, God, they finally caught on and they, they like killed my email. Oh, <laughs> no. like, all of my production is now gone. I was oh, terrified. That's but horrifying. Luckily, we're fine. I now okay. I know how to figure out how to change my email because that was, that was too stressful. <laughs> Yo. Do you guys have solid model backups of all the designs? No, I don't. I need to. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> nope. This is nope. the only thing I worry right. about, like, as far as, I mean, you don't ever really, I mean, do you ever really, like, own a solid model? I mean, I guess you, you do if you back it up, like, seven times. Yeah, right. It's. I mean, the way I see it, um, can't you, you can log into your artist account on their site, and you can download your yeah. projects from their site even so you don't need fusion directly to access yeah. those. i just mean like if if autodesk for some reason was Exploded. like hey you can't our servers are gone <laughs> it's gone they're, they're a little they're just and it's gone yeah 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 i i don't know i my thing is like i know that i could recreate everything just because i have the parts and i, yeah. I know the dimensions by heart almost mm-hmm so and it's like at, the, at that point, I'm like, I, you know, I needed to make pallets anyway. <laughs> right. I guess or the I have all the. Do. Yeah. It would take me like a day or two because it's complicated enough, but I yeah. do have, I've had to remake the scissors like a bajillion times. Right. So I know I could do it. Yeah. I have all the dimensions as well locked in, but maybe I'd make a drawing at some point and just print it out and keep it in a safe place. I do. I think I do have a drawing, at least of the blade. Okay. But yeah, I, I also have a bunch of patent drawings. Oh, oh nice. right. Yep. So it's like pretty much everything yep. documented. Nice. So, so Dalen. Uh, yeah, I've um, new I've been doing day? things. Uh, well, not yet. I mean, I I spent a lot of money day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I've been going through a roller coaster. Um. So. Obviously, I bought the Okamoto like three months ago, maybe. Yeah, I've had it for I think I've had it running for three months, and it's an absolute not an absolute lemon, but it's it has its issues that I don't have the time or energy to go through. Right. Um, it has a either a CPU or or like 
motor drive issue where sometimes if it loses power, it just won't turn back on until it feels mm. like it. Mm-hmm. And that one was manageable because I would just never turn it off. Right. Um, and then the Z axis, like the actual table crossfeed, the, the, the in out movement of the table has decided to no longer want to work when it feels like it. Oh, um, and so it, it, I was doing some troubleshooting last night slash this morning, and it seems to be related to either maybe a potentiometer switch that actually controls the, the speed, or maybe it boils back down to the CPU issue it has. But um, table will move, and then sometimes it'll just stop moving. And so, you know, it'll be in the middle of a grind cycle. And then uh, Jacob, my employee, will go over and check it out, and it just hasn't been moving. So it's just been sitting in one place reciprocating for, you know, an hour. It's, it's hydraulic, right? So, well, that's the that's the actual X for table. Like the hydraulic is good. It's it's yeah. the infeed. Oh, it's, it's okay. It, it's the table infeed, which is technically Z because these are all horizontal grinders. Um. So yeah. Okay. The, yeah. Yep. Um. So that the actual table won't move in and out uh, when it feels like it, and it's been getting worse and worse. Hmm. I mean, it, it 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 was never good when I got it. I just didn't know how bad it was because I didn't have any reference point. Right. So I was essentially sold a lemon. I I think we've all been there. <laughs> yes, you've been there. Yeah, yeah, we've, yeah. At the um, start of this podcast, I was kind of anti-used machines. Then you guys turned me around to be pro-used machines. And then now I've turned back around <laughs> to I, anti-used yo, machines. Wait, hold on. Who is pro-used machines for you? I said, if you got a, if you got a product that'll sell, I say new machine all day. I mean, well, so well, Grant Grant bought a yeah. Haas that didn't work out, and yep. uh, and Dalen bought the grinder fairly early in the podcast, yep. and it, it went pretty good for a well. It it scared him at first, but then it went pretty good for a while. Yeah, pain and suffering. Every machine, every machine I've purchased except my except the Mighty has been used. I've purchased two used CNC mills, a used grinder. Most things I buy are used because I cannot get financed. Well, I think it's also we've learned very dependent on like the year and that maybe buying sight unseen isn't great. Yeah. Well, so totally agree. I'm you're going to then you're going to like this. Um, (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, because the 1999 Okamoto was not reliable enough, I decided to buy a 1980 Brown and Sharp. (laughs) <laughs> for yeah, almost twice as much for almost twice as much as I purchased the Okamoto for please tell me you uh, saw it run what's that Japanese oh, yes, to no, there's here um yes funny enough so <laughs> I officially hate Okamoto as a company oh uh, I think like I've heard this speech before oh Another you have Dale, and it'll, it'll continue to be a thing with me yes yep. I if I can avoid it I will avoid having Okamoto in my shop from now on I call similar phrases like that too. Yep. So I have my my local Okamoto dealer who has techs. Um trying to get them out to me. And that's this isn't related to Okamoto yet, but just trying to get the local techs from my local Okamoto distributor to come look at my Okamoto took like two months. Yeah. And the they came industry in. Is bad it's bad. Right it's yeah. it, it 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 it's really bad. Um and that's just kind of par for the course for almost everyone. So I won't fault them necessarily there. But it took yeah. them a long time to get here. I told them the issues it had. They started working on one issue. I also told them at the time when they came in, hey, my my Z-axis auto feed is 
becoming unfunctional. I really need you to look into that, and they never did, sadly. And now it's mm-hmm. down for the count because of it. Um, so not a great experience there, but mostly par. But then I decided to finally call Okamoto themselves, Okamoto USA. Right. Um, they wouldn't even talk to me until I paid them a $300 machine registration fee. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah, no, they... I, I was going to say, I bet if I bet if money's involved, things get a little faster. Yeah, well, I mean, no, they, they, they wouldn't... They straight up wouldn't talk to me. It got to a point where I was trying to ask them questions, and and the guy was saying, "No, I I I cannot go further until you pay us three hundred dollars for what to register <laughs> like the machine money under my maybe? company name." Yeah, for money. Well, they, they they can't just give tech service for free, you know, because they're a paid employee. Right. Really? I mean, I wasn't even I wasn't actually trying to call them to have any. Uh, service or like phone support done. I was just trying to call them to see if they could even have text to come out or like how the process yeah. would work with them. And they wouldn't even entertain those questions until I paid them a $300 registration fee, That's which wild. sure $300 is it's, it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. That's not a big deal, but it's the principle of it. Yeah. And it really, <laughs> really rubbed me the wrong way. That's fair. I, yeah. I don't think you're wrong. I also think I'm definitely wrong. I don't know if Brown and Sharp will have a different treatment. Funny enough, act. So the reason I wasn't going to buy the Brown and Sharp at first is because I assumed it wouldn't have any support. So I was I was debating between these are both. I was debating between a 12 by 24 1980 Brown and Sharp and a 2006 12 by 24 Okamoto. Um, yeah, both both from the same machinery reseller. They're based in New Jersey. And I got a quote on both and I was talking to him. I was like, well, I'm going to buy one or the other. And uh, he actually kind of pushed me towards the brown and sharp. And uh, I was like, well, I'm concerned about service and, and, and parts and this, that, and the other. And he gave me a number to uh, Bowler and Co or something. I, I forget the actual company now, but they are the support company for these machines. So mm-hmm. I called them, answered right away, asked, like answered every question I had for them. Um, it's like we have parts for it. We have most parts on shelf for it. We do have field techs that can, you know, get to your machine, but they're also a little backed up as a, as everyone else is. Yeah, we offer free phone support. Um, you know, everything I wanted to hear, basically. Yeah, I you know I can't say much about modern Brown and Sharp, but I'll tell you what my grinder, although it has had its headaches, it's yep. like a hundred years old and it's still working. So. Is yours a Brown and Sharp? Yeah, it's a brown sharp number two. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. Cool. I didn't. I, I didn't realize it's a brown and sharp too. So yeah, this one. You know, it's 1980. It's old. It's 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 a baby compared to yours. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's a it's a hydraulic surface grinder. It's got a massive wheel. It's a 14 inch wheel. Nice. Damn. That's awesome. Louise. Yep. It's a it's a five horsepower spindle, which is crazy. Um. Jeez. Weighs like six thousand pounds. Hell yeah, dude. But uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to get it. Hopefully I get it soon. But yeah, I Are, replaced a, an old grinder with an older grinder. <laughs> you Can't know, go wrong. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So Grant's had a little trouble with uh, your surface grinder, right? Yep. Well, with with mine? <laughs> yeah. Are, yeah. Are, are you do you feel like you're in a good surface grinding position? Uh, well, I, the actual grinder itself is working better than ever. 
the problem is it doesn't have incremental down feed. So yeah. every five minutes we have to go fiddle with it, um, uh-huh. which that in itself is just draining. Um, it is. But the actual grinder works almost flawlessly now. Okay. And then and then you just have uh, your ex- yours might have exploded just a few minutes ago, John. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's its only problem, of course. <laughs> <laughs> she's and, I mean, she's a real she's a real looker. Other than that, <laughs> yeah, the the Tormach is the pinnacle of of surface grinding, right? Um, I don't know, like, how much do you guys feel like? Have you guys thought about having other people surface grind your stock? Yes, but uh, other people suck. Dalen is, do, is doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, when I can. Speaking of, I'll talk to you more about those blades after the podcast. But yeah, that's um, sounds fun. <laughs> so uh, I did have someone offer to surface grind blades for me uh, in the event that I needed it. Um, hopefully, I don't have to take take them up on that offer. But uh, I don't know. I'm stubborn, dude. <laughs> Because yeah. if I can avoid outsourcing, I'll I'll do it. Like I have a Tormach still that functions Same. entirely. Yeah, so, like, like, I have a backup grinder. You know, this is kind of like you know an emergency situation or or whatever for you guys. But like in a business sense, uh, I think like what you think you want to do long term versus short term might be different. But to me, I feel like surface grinding. I'll just speak for myself isn't really a value add to my product. Like people might think that it's cool that I make stuff then that my hands actually touched it, but kind of like similar with heat treating as well. I think there's not a ton of creativity in just like initial stock prep and there's not a ton of creativity in, in the heat treating and that there definitely are also people who can do, do it better than me. Okay. And so, to me, I'd rather put my energy and money into, you know, I mean, it costs money, of course, but, you know, yeah. it takes time and, and that's time you could be using to make money or do a million other things. And we are, we're all strapped for time. Right. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of my philosophy. But that's also kind of maybe short term because I, I used to very much feel like I want to do everything. I used to have the mindset that I want to do every single step. I only want to have a business because it's an excuse to be able to buy a surface grinder because it's awesome. Uh, so maybe long term, I'll you know whether or not it's maybe it is a smart business thing to be like I do every single step and it does add value. Maybe it doesn't, but either way, maybe I do want a a high end cool surface grinder just to have one and I'll justify it by using it. Um, but I want to know what you guys think. So can I counter that? Sure. Um, surface grinding is in-house is potentially one of the most value-added things in my shop. I'm not sure how your design uh, works, like, from, like, like overall from a tolerance standpoint, but um, keeping our blades within, like, one-tenth is one of the most critical things to having a functioning knife, af- like, during, at the end of the day. Yeah. And I have talked to other surface grind shops most most of them locally, a couple other places. And when I asked them what their tolerances are, they responded in a very proud tone, oh, like plus or minus five tenths. Mm. And I, I scoffed at them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably what their standard is. Uh, 
you're, there you're was, right. Like if yep. if the better the tolerance is, the better product. Right. And there the was one part. shop. There was one shop I talked to. I was like, "What's the tightest tolerance you can hold?" They're like, "Uh, about plus or minus one." And I went, "Oh, one tenth. And they went, "No, a thou." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, "What?" Yeah, I got laughed at by several shops because I wanted them to hold less than a thou, and they they just said no way. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. yeah so I've actually point. had I've <laughs> yeah. had a difficult time. I haven't done too much looking into, but I have had a difficult time finding a grind shop that would even be willing to hold our tolerances, let alone not charge us our souls for it. Yeah. And, yeah. And- I, I, I think my, I haven't outsourced that much. And so my feeling was surely someone who has a new super high end million dollar Okamoto could do better than a 1980 Brown and Sharp. But I guess I guess you can't uh, forget that people are involved. Yeah, yeah. right. And I, I, uh, oh, go ahead. My last thing was also finish. Um, finish is equally as important as tolerance, almost. Yeah. No. Oh, uh, so my point for my biggest thing is flexibility in manufacturing, especially when it comes to prototype and design, and being able to like, I have a new design that I'm working on. I can get the laser cut blades really quickly. Every other process after laser cutting is all in house and I can just steamroll through it and I can get done in a day and basically have production starting, which is really nice. nice. And and even though I have a hundred year old surface grinder and it takes a little bit, we still have the ability to get those blades dialed in house same day, whatever, where if you're waiting two weeks for 50 blades in a batch, that is that lag time can kill you if you make one misstep. Um, yes. And that's something that like the the biggest thing that I keep running into constantly is suppliers. Like I, we were just talking about this before the podcast started. My titanium order, uh, they forgot to ship me my November order, even though we've had POs set up for the next like nine months. Yep. Um, and it's like two weeks in November. I was like, hey, what's going on? And now we're going to lose a day, which is, you know, fifteen hundred dollars, if yeah, not huge. more at this point. Yeah, and, that's the entire order. No, that, yeah, that's so, a, that's a good argument because that is basically why I bought my surface grinder is is I didn't think I, I even at the time I didn't think it made sense for a production standpoint to do all of the surface grinding on it, but uh, I did want to be able to prototype and and have accurate stock yep. for prototyping and not have so, to wait months or weeks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So at the very least, if you don't if you don't service grind production and you do find somebody like like Dalen is taking a good big chunk of my production, but we're also still service grinding every day to keep up the little stuff until like the batches come in just to build buffers everywhere we can. Yeah. Um, and we have the flexibilities like, hey, Dalen's going to be, you know, late by two days. All right. We can we can grind up and we can. There's no issue with that. Like every yep. everybody's fine. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, definitely having the capability, whether or not you have the per- best production machine for it, uh, you can go back and forth on that, depending on what you're doing. But having the capability is huge for me. It is. Yep. Yeah. Not having to rely on yet another two to four week lead time. Yeah. I mean, hell, two to four weeks is is lucky these days. Yeah. Yeah. With, oh, the, yeah. with the tolerance thing, um, I'm kind of going to play devil's advocate here because I... I think this has argument has flaws in it, but people always are like, you should design something. So it doesn't require these super tight tolerances. 
Do you think you guys could loosen the tolerances of your blade, but then have a set uh, different sizes of washer or something that no. compensates for the no. variation of the blade? At the end of the day, could you still have the exact same functioning knife? Possibly. But yeah. um, the the extra time involved in assembly will will far outweigh it in terms of cost. Well, and, and at, at the very least for me, knowing that I can I can ship somebody a bushing and they'll assemble it and yes. it'll be perfectly tuned. Yes, that's another wonderful thing. Huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and or if a knife comes back and if I need to swap parts around, I know that yep. they go in and they fit perfectly. Yeah, like, it's huge. Yes. So. I have no foresight. That's why I like doing it all in house. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've like, it's silly to like, yeah, it's cool that we do it all in house. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people think that's a big deal. Really, a lot of customers I feel like are not going to really care unless yeah, exactly. you're that, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Having the control over the systems is nice because when you need to scale, you know exactly how, what needs to scale kind of thing. And yep. Like I said, for me, because I have very little foresight or I'm still stuck in the prototyping phase, like if I had to make a change and you sent out a batch of, I don't even know what a batch size would be because it has to be a, you know, it has to be affordable. So what do you send out? Like 25 blades? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you wait however long it takes to get those. And by the time you get them, you need more. And yeah, I I don't know. For me, for, for even, it's kind of sounds weird, but at this scale, for me, the economics work out better. If I it do does. it in house, yep. but I don't know. You can argue either way. I just like doing it in house because that's how, you know, like mentally I function that way. I guess. Yep. I mean, that's that, that's a really valid point. With um out, you know, outsourcing, you want to you you want to have good volume to get a decent prices, and then b have you know enough parts to last you while you wait for more. Um, right. And I was actually running into that a bit because I want to get Opus blades laser cut by Lucas mm-hmm. the same way that my Prisma blades are. But, uh, you know, I, I do like five to six hundred Prisma blades in a batch, which is quite a bit of money. But that's, yeah. you know, that's probably a third or a fourth of the price that it would be to get Opus blades in the same quantity just because the mm. material is more expensive, yada, yada. And, you know, can I afford 600 Opus blades laser cut by Lucas? Yes. Do I? But I don't really want to spend that much money quite yet on that much before I know that the process is, you know, completely dialed. Well, and and here's a question that really gets me sometimes is like, how many serifs did you make before you, uh, you started on opuses? I made just under 400. So we'll just call it 400. Yeah. So so you if you made if you bought 600, but you wanted to focus on a new project, even if that you're coming back to the serifs, which you are. Right. I will. You you would still have 200 blades worth of inventory just yep. eating up cash that that don't need to be there. Well, yeah, this right. is about this is lean, you know. Yep. Everyone yeah. talks about being lean. Yeah. Um, I don't I, know. I wish I had a product I could do that with. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm working on titanium parts today. I'm like, titanium is so easy, and I'm like, the blades are what makes my life suck. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know. Yep. So it's like having a simple, like a nice simple aluminum anodized product would be kind of nice because then right. I feel like you really could for you could have the foresight to be like okay this is going to get anodized you know so by somebody else here's a quantity a thousand or whatever and then yeah. build the systems for that yep but oh, yeah. at least at least the cost of the individual parts for me right now are 
would be impossible to afford in the scale you would need to send them out, I guess. Right. I mean, so, so what I did recently is, uh, you know, I had like 64 blades cut out and surface ground by Lucas. And, uh, I mean, the time it would have taken me to do the equivalent, I'm sure like it, it only took a few weeks, you know, which, you know, a few weeks sucks, but it's like, I was doing stuff during that few weeks, you right, know, yeah. stuff was happening in parallel. And, uh, I think sometimes it hasn't always worked out that way, but now the ability that I just, it's it's been the best it's been for me where i just know that they're they're good i mean there's like some blemishes and some stuff that's not perfect but uh like the fact that i just like load eight things in the machine and like i know it's good and now i can just like mess around with the tool paths mess around with you know figuring out where i want the tolerances to be and i'm not just like having to put the mental energy into making sure that the outside contour is right not having to put in you know, it's literally like 10 hour days to surface grind a few uh, blades on a Tormach surface grinder. It's it's yeah, not exactly. quick, and, and, you know, and I'm having to take off like 14th hour or something. Right. Uh, you know, it, it takes forever. And so being able to just uh, just go on so many blades and, and then be doing different experiments, running them in different ways, tumbling them in different ways. Uh it made it totally work. You know, I wouldn't order 600, uh, but you know, 64, it's been great so far. Yeah. yeah. You can definitely I mean, like, there's pluses and minus the both and there's no right or wrong, but there is. Yeah. I kind of I mean, wish I, mean, I could do that. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. Surface grinding sucks, but yeah. yeah. I mean, having the proper equipment to, you know, support is also important, which is why I made it a point to, Ever since buying the Okamoto and forwards, I will always buy a production grinder that has incremental da- auto incremental down feed and yeah, all of that. Oh, all. definitely. I yep. I I was you know I struggled a lot with buying the Tormox service grinder because yep. I'm, it doesn't I'm, have the the down feed and it's it's slow much slower than like a hydraulic right. Um, but it's just I'd have to drive like I don't want to buy something sight unseen and and uh, you know I uh, potentially you. would have to deal with uh, what I'm dealing with now which is trying to hook up better power mm-hmm. um, you know I, I mean even for it I had to hook up 220 uh, get another 220 plug but that's better than three phase I mean I should have done three phase earlier anyway but it's, yep. it's a big deal and expensive I mean you're working on it so yeah yep. but uh, what was I going to say I don't know anymore I appreciate. Just, I don't want a project. I feel like I have so little energy and time that my biggest fear is buying a used machine. And it's a project, um, and part of that fear comes from the Tormach, the mill. The mill was such a project. You know, partly my fault because I I got so many like accessories and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, end up not even using the tool changer for most of the time I've had it. Uh, but you know, having to learn all the wiring and run all the cables and wires and and uh, you know, even like just the the spindle load meter is like yep. a, its own separate thing you have to buy and install. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the series three in particular is definitely like a kit machine. Like, well, I so I have like the older generation. Uh, is it before the it seems three? like the enclosures for the MXs or whatever are better, but they like are. building the enclosure and stuff, you know, it was like a multi week process to fully build the whole thing. Yeah, it is. And uh, that's my fear is like, I just want to freaking sell some scissors 
Right. And uh, I don't want another, another, uh, uh, you know, multi-week project the next time I buy a machine. Exactly. And I mean, you know, I'm still gambling on the Brown and Sharp. It it should be a good purchase. I'm I'm fingers crossed. But uh, I mean, that's why I bought the Okamoto originally too, is because I I didn't want a project. Yeah. And sure enough, I you know got bitten by it. But yeah, I, I, I think it's a good grinder. It will be a good grinder, the Okamoto, if someone you know has the time to sit down with it. Yeah. I, that's I think true. The... You think you can make some money like reselling it? I'd be happy to. I mean, I'll be talking to all three of you about that after this. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I, I um, think the big, the big thing for me with used machines is, uh, even after buying the Haas and getting completely burned with the giant paperweight. Yep. Um, I would still buy a used machine. Cause like my, my first Haas was also a used machine. It was a 2019 yep. though. So yeah. depending on the year and how old it was, it just requires a lot more scrutiny and a lot more knowledge of like, you need to be ready of, like buying a, an old house, like you need to know what to look for. Exactly. You, know, you, need, you need to be able to kick the baseboards and, and you know, like that kind of stuff where if you're buying a new machine, you don't even have to think about it. You just know. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the big thing is it just, it takes a lot more thought to buy an old machine and do it the right way. And yeah, you don't I'd, know what to look would, for until you go through the process a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. I would like definitely buy used again. Yeah. I mean, I will too. And I have, but um, Wait, what did John say? I said, I definitely would. Oh, okay. Definitely Swiss machines. Those things can be very, very, very good cost, like a good cost basis for used Swiss machines because nobody buys them because they're not cool. And if you buy them from a production shop and they weren't crashed, then like... They're so cool. I mean, like, they don't have the same (laughs) garage, like, put it in your garage. No, I know, yeah. But it's like, you know, a new Swiss machine is... uh, They're... They're money. They, I mean, no, yeah, no. Oh, yeah. A, a Citizen L12 starts at like two fifty. I'm pretty sure. What What do you think is the price of a um, used Swiss machine you would buy? Like, I think that's that's a tough question because if you wanted any sort of live tooling, you're for something that's not junk. You're probably like looking 16. at like twenty five plus now. Oh, only twenty five plus. Okay. Really, yeah. you think you could get? A nice Swiss machine, Swiss lathe with live tooling for twenty five grand. Um, at least when I was looking at lathes, and mind you, this was two years ago. You could yep. now probably not. I'd say maybe thirty thirty five, and we'll redact nice and say functioning. There you go. Okay, I yeah, that's that's better than I thought because because my my feeling is a Swiss lathe is super cool, but is one of the least good machines you could buy because you know the things you're making with it you could likely get made for very cheap by someone else uh so the amount of parts you'd have to make in the machine is you know you're potentially having to make thousands and thousands of parts you know it would just take a while for it, the machine to be able to pay for itself right i'm at a point now where a swiss would probably pay for itself in a year if i bought one used like that if i could finance it it'd pay itself off every month because you itself. have to think about like the price you're paying for screws now. Um, you know, I mean, because a lot of your screw, you know, you're not. Uh, are you? Uh, do you have? Do you have custom hardware, Dalen? I don't. Well, no, technically not. Uh, Lucas does all all of my hardware except for the screws. 
Well, that counts as custom. That's cheaper than you know. It's the I same mean, that's part cheaper. as an Sorry, it's uh, for someone else. But if you're having Lucas make it, it's not like you're getting it from U.S. knife supply or something. Right. It's it's the same product they sell, same dimensions, but he makes it for me. But it's gonna be nicer. Yes, it is significant. So that nicer. that that makes it a better case for a Swiss machine because you're paying more than like for McMaster screws to get have Lucas make screws. I'm sure it's more expensive oh, yeah. than than like U.S. knife maker or McMaster screws. Yeah, I mean my screws so, are still U.S. knife maker, sadly. But well, there's nothing wrong with. I'm not saying like you can't use those. You know, you don't need everything to be superfluously custom. Um, but like. You know the the weird, crazy uh, pin things I have. You know those are very expensive to have someone else make. Right. And so that makes the machine pay for itself quicker. Yep. Than uh, if I was just having regular old screws being made, which uh, you know it it's hard to beat the the high production of some factory somewhere else or some super good machine shop or or even Lucas and his crazy output. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and also, I just want to say real quick, I'm sensing we should probably wrap up, but uh, the Tormach project is uh, uh, not directly comparable to buying used machines. I'm not totally against buying used machines. I'm just scared of it. And because I'm in New Mexico, uh, yeah. and especially back then when I bought the Tormach, I was much less experienced with machining and stuff. Uh, you know, if if I had access to see lots of machines and you know, could see that they ran and I already had power set up and all that, like it would totally change the equation. Yeah. Um, yeah. The project thing is more just like not wanting to be surprised, you know, buying something that's a uh, sight unseen. And then it just is completely not what you expect. And you have to do right. a lot more work. You know, the last thing I want to do is have to like do painting by a machine. <laughs> yeah, right. You feel yeah. like you have to redo the paint or something. Yeah. I mean, I'm horrified still of buying used. I just keep doing it. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have an intervention later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see how the brown and sharp turns out. We'll yeah, right. Visit this. Finger, I mean, fingers crossed, dude. All right. You want to uh, wrap it up? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. Bye for now. Bye. See ya.